This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In today's message, we continue our Psalm 23 series. This week, we learn how a good shepherd revives and restores his sheep. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, here's the message, Psalm 23. He restores me. You know, we, we, can look at, we can look at the stats. We can look at our family. We can look at other people. We can look at what we might have and think that how long. Don't none of us know. And I prayed this this week. I said, God, I don't know how much time I got left. I really don't. But I said, whatever I have left, I didn't say I'm going to do it. I said, help me. Help me to live it according to what you want. Not what I want. Not what I want. I've, I've, I've wasted more years probably than I have left. And now I want to make the best of the years that I have left. I don't want to leave. I, I, I've heard, I heard William uh, McDowell, I think that's his name, he said, he said, I don't want to get to heaven full of visions and dreams and businesses and things that I could have done to make lives, people's lives better. I want to live the rest of my days doing what God wants me to do. So, we are on the 23rd Psalm, and the title this week today is He, he Restores Me. You know, the, you know the verse. You know the verse, Restore My Soul. And we've seen the ble- greatest blessing that we can know is to be wholly owned by the Son of God, to be bought. The Bible says you've been bought with a price, and we were born by an incorruptible seed into the family of God. But the world feels sure that freedom is, comes from being your own master. Everything you see, everything you hear, it's about me, my rights, my freedom, my, you know. I was talking to a guy yesterday, and, and, and we were talking about people trying to fight for their freedom. You know, they don't, I don't want to wear a mask because I have to, I got my freedom and my rights and, 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 I, and I hear people talking about they don't want to be mandated to take the shots. And, and I look at how, how we, the Bible said we strain a gnat and we swallow a camel. You know, we, we'll, we'll say we want our freedom in this area, but then they, they make me wear a seatbelt. Nobody protesting that because the truth of the matter is, if I don't wear my seatbelt, who's going to get killed? Me. I ought to be protesting that one. When I had a motorcycle, they told me I had to wear a helmet. If I don't wear a helmet, you think I'm going to kill the other guy when I hit him with my head? Probably not. I'm going to kill myself. They make our children go to school and take shots before they go. Nobody, everybody okay with that. We, the men in the military, before they go overseas, even me, I went, I went through a line. I, I think they still do this. Keith, you've been in before I did. And when you go through that line, they're shooting you on both sides. They're giving you shots. Before. 
if I don't take these shots, who am I? Who gonna, who gonna, who, who got the potential to die? Nobody but me. So we think that we fight for freedom and our rights. And the, the truth of the matter is, the Christian knows that the greatest comfort in life and death is to know that I'm own. I'm not my own. My spirit, my soul, and my body belong to Jesus. That's the greatest news that a Christian can know. And when we, when we belong to the flock of God, there are certain things that the shepherd will do for us. And because he is a good shepherd, we know that he will keep his promises and do those things that he has said that he would do. And so the last time we saw the shepherd, we saw the shepherd will lead us. He'll lead us in the rest and he'll lead us in the righteousness. The Bible says he makes us to lie down. The hardest thing for us to do is to rest, is to rest. The greatest thing that the devil want to steal is your rest, your sleep. He puts stuff on your head, and when we try to play God in our own lives, that's when we cannot rest. That's when we lose our rest. And the Lord leads us into righteousness. And how many folk know that the right path is not always the easy path? Not always going to be easy. You know, I, I think about that song. Nobody told you that the road would be easy. But I don't believe he brought me this far to lead me. And today we come to the second greatest gift that belongs to you because the Lord is your shepherd. David says the Lord is my shepherd. And he restores what? My soul. What does the word restore actually mean to you? When I think about the word, word restore, I'm going to tell you what I see. I see my brother in the shop behind the house. I see him with an old piece of furniture that's, 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 that's tore up and messed up. And, and he's been given the task to restore it. But before he can restore it, guess what he got to do? He got to strip it down. He got to strip it down. He got to strip it down and he got to see what the extent of the damage is and what needs to be done, what needs to be fixed. And I believe that when we say restore my soul, and the word, actually the original word means to restore it better than the original. In other words, I'm going to put it back better than what it was before you had it. And so I'm asking him to restore my soul. He restores my soul is present tense with David. David is saying God has done this so Many times, so many times in the past, and he will do it many more times in my future. It is a present tense word, God restore my soul. And let me say this to you. The worst kind of person you ever want to meet is the one that don't know that they messed up, that think, that think they're not messed up. The one that's, that thinks they're okay is the worst person you ever want to lay, lay eyes on. We need to realize that we need to be restored. Why is it important? Why do we need it? Why do you ever need restoring? Why do we, why do, we do it? Because we go astray. And let me say this. Not just because we go astray, but because we were raised before we were saved. And what you got to understand about salvation is salvation is the saving of the spirit 
and not necessarily the saving of the soul. Because in uh, Romans chapter 12, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your body, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye, what? Transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. In other words, God does not, and then when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, know ye not that you are not your own, that you were bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your spirit and your body with your gods. Now he left out the soul, didn't he? So basically what he's telling me is, is that when he saved me, he actually recreated my spirit, but he left my soul because within my soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. And because God won't violate your will, he don't mess with your soul, not without your permission. So we, we go astray, and when we go astray, we can't find our way back. Remember I told you the sheep is the dumbest animal, animal that ever, one of, the, one of the dumbest that ever lived, and that he'll eat grass and eat grass and eat grass and never look up, and when he looks up, he's 100 miles away from home, and he don't have a clue how to get back. And that's how we are. So here's the problem. The Lord leads his people, but guess what? Most of us don't want to follow. The way the shepherd lead, we don't want to, we don't find it easy to, 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 to go the way he wants us to go. And we know everybody know that in their own life. We love the Lord, but our heart wanders. Guess what? You know, I was praying before we came, before, before we got, so, when we got started, that God would give us rest. Because guess what? Our hearts wonder. Our minds wonder. You'd be amazed in one church service with these few people on the inside of this building, how many places y'all are while y'all sitting here looking at me. Some of y'all already in Walmart. Some of you at the grocery store. Some of you at home cooking. Some of y'all at work next week. Already on the job. Thinking about, well, when I get to work, man, I'm going to fix this. I'm, I, I, I got to take care of this. I'm going to do this. And some of y'all thinking about, man, what you're going to do next week. Some of y'all going on vacations. Man, you'd be amazed at what goes on and how we wonder and how we roam and, and how it's so easy for us to falter and how often our faith is not where it should be. It's, 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 it's not where it ought to be. So, how about if your, if your final salvation depended on your consistency of following the shepherd, how many folks realize most of us would never make it home? We never get to the place where Jesus is. <laughs> so, we ought to be grateful that he's a good shepherd, and not only does he lead us, not only does he own us, but he actually will restore our soul. Now, the good shepherd retrieves us when we wander. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look again, what did he say? What's the first word in that verse? Is anybody left out of that? He said, all of us are like sheep. Every one of us are like sheep. We've gone astray. So when 
when, he, when he's talking about this, we have to realize that he is talking about us. We will wander. We will roam. But the good shepherd will do what? Go find his lost sheep. Remember the story in Luke chapter 15 or 16. I can't remember exactly which one it is. When, he, when, when you see the parable of the lost, shepherd, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the, of the, of the lost son. And he said, he said I'm going to leave the 99 and I'm going and find what? The one. And he said he goes out, he finds the one, he put it on his shoulder, he bring it back, and he tells all his friends, rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep, the one that was lost has been found. And so I already covered that, the prodigal son, and guess what? There's yet something in us, in him, that pulled him away from his daddy. No matter how good his daddy was. No matter how much he loved his daddy. As a matter of fact, he actually said a hurtful thing, I would say, to, my, to his daddy. Because he said, give me my inheritance. When do you get an inheritance? When they die. In other words, he said, daddy, you're living too long. You're hanging around here too long. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it, no, I, I don't say that. Anyway, sometimes, you know, in other words, he, he was saying, you know, I wish I could get the insurance money now. <laughs> you stay around here too long. But he wanted to pull away from it. He wanted to pull away from his daddy. And he's the example of us. We are prone to wonder, prone to leave God. The God we love. But guess what? It says now the spirit had give, has given us new life. Yet we live this life where? What did Paul say? Galatians 2.20. He said I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live. Yet not I that live. But it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live where? In the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And we know from Romans, Romans said this, he said the spirit does what? Lust against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And there's a war that's going on on the inside of me. So there's going to be times that I'm going to walk by faith in the son of God. And there's going to be time when I'm going to live by my skin. I'm going to live by my flesh. And those times when I live by my flesh, that's when I need God to restore my soul. So, God's saving work in us has begun, but it's not complete. It's not done. It is not finished. Remember what I said before. We are saved, being saved, which you'll see in the next verse, and will be saved. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he said, only when we see Christ will we be fully like him. That's why Paul speaks of Christians as, as us who are what? Being saved. Now you can go tell folks you saved, but you can tell them I'm also being saved. And then you can also tell them one day I will be saved. I'll, because right, I was saved when God came in and I invited in my heart. He took out that old human spirit, put a new spirit in me, and dwelt it by the Holy Spirit. But while I live on this earth, he is still continually to save me because my soul still want to do what it wants to do. And so when I leave here... I will truly be saved because then I'll see Jesus as he is and I'll be in his presence. 
So it's a continuous thing. It's present tense. It's an ongoing process until the day we get into the presence of the Almighty God. Every one of us, every one of us, every one of us have a tendency to wander and to roam and to walk away from God. And David knew this principle of restoration that when he sinned, it would be over for him as well as for us if God didn't do this. Because sin is like a, sin is like a stain. Sin is like a scar on the soul. And who can remove it? Who can fix it? Nobody but the good shepherd. So what does this look like? How does he restore us when we wander? In the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks of the seven churches. And this, the first of these was the congregation of Ephesus. And guess what? They were good people. They were hard workers. Look what it said. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Not only were they hard workers, they were upright. You cannot bear those who are evil. They were discerning. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. They were loyal. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Not only that, but Christ says, but I have what? This one thing against you, that you have abandoned what? Your first love. How many folks will admit that you don't have the same fire you had when you first got saved? Man, I, can, I, can, I, rem, I remember the day. I remember the day. Man, I was so excited. I was so hyped up, man. I was just, man, I carried my Bible everywhere I went. I talked to everybody. I mean, we, I, I may meet a friend and we start talking about football, but before that conversation was over, we were talk, I was talking about Jesus. I was bringing it back around to the cross. Man, I, I, I prayed all the time, man. I read all the time. I did all this stuff, man. And, and, then, and then over time, life sets in. Life starts to happen to us. And so... It's possible to be hardworking, upright, discerning, loyal believer, and yet have lost your first love for Jesus. The good shepherd, he restores us when we're wandering by what? Reminding us of what we have lost. He reminds us of what we have lost. I'm going to tell you something. I remember when, I remember when um, before I actually got saved, I know this works. But before I actually got saved, I was sitting at home one day. And, uh, and I thought I was thinking. I thought I was thinking. And this is what I thought I was thinking. I thought I was thinking that, man, it's been two years since I've been to church. And the last time I went, we were burying my mom. And I, I thought I was thinking, man, I was raised to go to church. My mama raised me to go to church. But guess what? I wasn't thinking that was God reminding me of what I had lost and how far I had fallen. And so my first step into to salvation was I started going back to church, but that's all I did. Because guess what? On Sunday, I was at church, but guess where I was on Saturday? Yeah, 
I, I was still doing what I wanted to do on Saturday. I still, I still were dancing all Saturday night and at church on Sunday morning. But let me tell you something. That was the process God had to you here to remind me of what I lost to get me back in the path in order to save me. Just because I started going to church didn't mean I was saved. See, a lot of folk think that when folk come to church, oh, they, they, oh, oh, man, you, you, you there now. You done made it back home. I mean, folk know, man, you can go to church and, uh, like, like uh, Mr. Johnny Watson Walters told me when I was working with him at Briggenstrand, he said, he said, man, there's more than one way to hell than through the church. He said, you can go to hell a lot of ways. He said, why people pick the church? I never know. They, they, they choose to come to church and yet going to hell. We can't be deceived by people sitting in church because I was one of them sitting up in church and they were telling me, man, you're on the right path. You're doing the right thing. I just left the club about 12 hours ago if it were that long. You know, that's, people don't know. They don't know. They don't know what we do every day. They don't know what we do when we leave these places. But he said, remember therefore from where you have fallen. That's what he told us in Revelation. And I'm going to tell you something. This is one of the greatest ways to restore a relationship. Restoration begins with honest recognition of what's been lost. Remembering where you've fallen will lead you to repent. It'll lead you to change. I'm going to tell you something. I, I, you know, I, people often when they, you know, it's, it's the same way as getting when you get married. I'm going to look straight up in the ceiling. I ain't going to look at nobody so nobody think I'm talking about you because that ain't none of my business. I don't know nothing about what's going on with you. But anyway, I'm just going to look up and look around, and I could be talking about me while I'm talking, but I'm going to say this. You know, you know, being saved is almost the same as being when you first get married. You know how it is when you first get married or when you really when you first start Dating a person that you really like, you really love. How is it? Somebody tell me how it is. I ain't looking at nobody. How is it when you first start dating, when you first meet that person? Oh, man, that's all you think about. You can't wait to get where they are. You can't wait to hear their voice. You can't wait to talk to them. You can't wait to be with them, man. Every moment is just so precious and so sweet. And we just sit on the phone and say, you sleep? No, I ain't sleep. I'm sleeping, but I ain't sleep. And we just sit there and listen at each other breathe. Ah, you go ahead and take a we, we We could really say, you go ahead and take a nap. I'm going to stay woke while you sleep. And then, I'm, then when you wake up, I'm going to take a nap while you sleep. And then I'm going to ask you, you still sleep? That's what we should be saying. You know, we just, we just so in love, man. We just love each other. And just can't, I just eat, breathe, and sleep this person, man. Just, just so beautiful, just so wonderful. And then all of a sudden you get married, and then you got that same passion, man. We just, oh, we just love each other. We just honeymooning, man. Life is just so beautiful, just so wonderful. This is the greatest person that ever lived, and God gave them to me. And then all of a sudden, life set in. <laughs> You, real, you realize, you've been thinking all this time that they pack air and it don't stink. <laughs> and you realize, yes, it do. It really do. <laughs> you, re <laughs> you realize that this person wake up, they don't look like they've been showing me all day. They breath stink when they wake up. I didn't know this. I, I thought they just... <laughs> I thought they woke up like I see them every day. 
But they real people with real, <laughs> with real issues and real problems. And, 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 and man, sister, no, I, no, I didn't mean to say that. They've been acting so sweet. <laughs> and now, <laughs> and now, all of a sudden, they're acting a fool. I'm like, this is the same person. <laughs> but, but Jesus is saying, this is what he's saying. He said, you got to go back and do the first works. See, you got to feel, you got to be the same way all the time. You got to be the same way. <laughs> don't start that. So, no, don't, don't even start. Now, I hear all, she is sitting up here saying, mm-hmm. She, she probably got a story she won't tell, but I'm glad I got the mic. Anyway, <laughs> you know. We start out, man, we just be so, we just, we just be on like days, man. We just be in gay. And then all of a sudden, boy, they, some, they hit you with a two by four. And you come to reality. But he said, in order for us to restore our relationship, we got to remember where we fell from. We got to, we, we really have to go back and do the first works. Because so, you see the story of the prodigal son. Guess what he did? He wandered away from life, far from, from where he had been born. And then he got, he got in, a, in a predicament where he done wasted all of his stuff. He done squandered everything he had, wasted all the time, wasted all his money, wasted all his strength. And then he get to the place where he realized, this is what he realized. He remembered my father's hired servant have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. What brought him to repentance? He remembered where he used to be, how life used to be, and it made him change his mind. He said, I will arise. I'll go to my father. i say to my father, I sinned against heaven in your sight. No more long, longer word to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. I have it better if I'm just one of your slaves. But he had to remember. So if we want to restore what we had in a relationship, and let me say this to you, it can't go, you can't go by feeling. You know, I know, I know sometimes... You know, you, you might not, they've they been acting a fool, and you might not want to hold their hand, but you got to, don't go by your feeling. Just hold it. Just hold it. Because, see, what happens is feelings will follow action. Feelings will follow your action. That's why God commands us to love, and he's not telling us to feel something. He's telling us to do something because he knows if you do something, your feelings will follow what you do. So you got to go back and do the, what you used to do, you know. I mean, when me and my wife, before we got married, we come, we come home, we sit in the car for hours. Just sit there and talk and watch cars go by. And, and we did it so often and so long, people, with, people that pass by there every day about the same time, they pass by there and wave at the car. <laughs> yeah, they, they do it now. They know we sitting in it. They see, they look, they look up in the driveway and see us sitting in the car. When we pull up from somewhere, if I don't have to go to sleep or she ain't, I, and I don't have to go to work and we ain't got nowhere to go, we, we still sit there in the car like we did when we first got married. Sit there and talk. We sit there and talk for hours. It get hot, I open my door. We let the, let the door open so we get some wind. You know, we still sit there and talk. You know, and I used to, every, every night at work, when I, I didn't have a real job, I used to call her every night. We talked for two hours. Two hours. But I got a real job now, so, you know, <laughs> I, can't, I can't sit and do that. I'm trying to get me a job where I can, I can go back and call home every night. I used to come home every night. I used to get, I'd get in the car. My car got 100 and, 
50, almost 150,000 miles on it now, and uh, 100,000 of them probably coming back, going to work twice a day. I did it every night. Every night I came home, five, six days a week. But we got we to gotta remember in order to go back. And then he, I'll arise and go to my home. Remembering leads to repentance, and God retrieves us when we, when we wonder by reminding us of what we've lost. Have you ever thought about what you lost, how far you've fallen, what you used to do? Go back. He said in Revelation, he said, go back and do the first works. He said, now you're not going to feel it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be rough. But he said, if you want to get back, go back and do what you used to do. Call home and just breathe. Just <sighs> You sleep? Mm-mm. <laughs> oh Lord I bless you may have lost your peace you may have lost your joy you might be hard working upright discerning Lord but you lost your first love of Christ and you need him to restore your soul Psalms 51 David after he had sinned and this is a psalm of repentance he said restore to me the joy of your salvation I'm going to tell you something Every one of y'all ought to pray that right now to yourself silently. You ought to say, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let me feel happy like I did when I first met you. Let me feel that joy on the inside. Man, I remember when I first got saved. It didn't matter what was going on. I had a positive mindset. I tell them it's going to be all right. Jesus is going to make it all right. Now I get in there and whine with the best of them. I moan with the best of them, complain with the rest of them. The good shepherd revives us when we falter. He will revive us when we falter. Sometimes we need to be restored because we wandered away from the shepherd. And where does the root problem lay? Problem lie. It lies in our sin. The devil wants us to sin because he wants to lead us away. He wants to lead us astray. He wants to separate us from God. He wants to keep us from God, getting close to God. More to God's work of restoration than retrieving us when we wander. The condition in which a sheep becomes cast, and the word cast actually means he, it's like he's heavy. He's heavy. And it can happen when the sheep's fleece is long and heavy or when it is carrying lambs. Now, you got to understand this about a sheep. Now, a sheep is okay as long as it stands up or lays on its side. But if he ever get on his back, he can't ever get up. He'll die without some help getting up. And I want you to think about that because the Bible compares us to sheep. He said, we are like sheep gone astray. Everyone turned to his own way. Jesus said, my sheep. Hear my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. He's actually calling us sheep. So if it happens to a sheep, guess what? It happened to us. If we get weighed down, if, because we're not made or conditioned to carry weight and burdens. That's why he say to us in, in uh, uh, James, I think it is, or First Peter, he said, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. He know you're not conditioned to carry it. If you carry it, guess what? It's going to weigh you down. You mess around, get on your side, and if you get on your back, you're going to die. You won't survive. That's why he said in Matthew, he said, 
Don't take no thought what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. He said, don't worry about all that stuff. He said, the Gentiles, the people without God, they worry about that. He, he don't want us to worry because we're not equipped nor conditioned to worry. We're not made to worry. And when we worry, we get like the sheep. We get heavy. We get weighed down. And if we mess around and get on our back, we won't ever get up. They said when the sheep get in this condition and he ever got on his back, the circulation would leave his legs. The blood would stop circulating in his legs. And if the shepherd got him back up on his legs, he would actually have to stand there and massage his legs to get the blood circulating and flowing in his legs again. This is Jesus loving us, y'all. This is what he's willing to do for us. Okay? So the problem is in either case is the weight that the sheep carries and the good shepherd restores when he falls. Many examples in the Bible where they falter, I narrowed down to five, and all of them involve carrying a heavy weight. We are not. Remember that, folks. We are not. The last, the last instrumental that Marcus was playing was what? See who was paying attention. What's the last instrumental song he played? Uh-uh. Not, 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 not worship while we were taking up the offering. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not take it to the Lord in prayer. Everything. All this weight. Faith can falter when we are disoriented by injustice. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the greatest one that gets me. That's the one that, that weighs me down more than probably anything. Injustice. Look at Psalm 73, verse 2 and 3. He said, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, who will tell the truth? Who will tell the truth and say they've been in that predicament? You look at folk, man, that live all kind of way, do all kind of stuff, and look like they get the best of everything, and they get by with everything, anything. Man, I've been looking at Donald Trump for the past five years, and I'm like, man, how? They done caught this man doing everything. He's still walking around free. Injustice. And this is, this is in Psalm 73, and this is Asaph. This is Asaph. He, he's looking around. He's seeing what's going on. And he said, I almost, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. In other words, he said, man, I just about left God over this. Guess what? Faith can falter when we are drained by conflict. How many folk been in a battle and, you, and, and, and know that it wears you out? You just, you just fight and you fight and you fight. And, and, and he's talking about in 1 Kings chapter 19, the second part of that, that 10th verse. This is, this is Elijah. He said, I, even I, only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah had, had been engaged in struggling and he was exhausted. He was tired. He was, he was wore out. He had done, been on, 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 on Mount Carmel. He he, slayed, he had killed 450 prophets of Baal, 
And then all of a sudden, man, at one point, it just seemed like the whole world was against him. The king was against him. Bash, uh, I mean, uh, 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 Jezebel had sent a word to him and said, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to have your head. And even God's people had given themselves to idol, and he, they seemed to have been against him. And Elijah was on the mountain. He was up there on the same mountain that Moses was on. And while he was up there, he said, man, I'm God. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Nobody else is left. Take my life. And I always say this, man, if he really wanted to die, all he had to do was go where Jezebel was. She took care of it. She had already told him 24 hours from the day, I'm going to take your life. You ain't, you ain't got to go ask God. All you got to do is go, go let Jezebel see you. She'll do it for you. He ran because he wanted to live, but we get exasperated sometimes. We be talking, you know, you know I see every now and then you get, talk, get talking crazy. You know what I mean? Man, it'd be better if I were dead. You don't mean that. And I can tell you, I can prove to you you don't need it. You don't mean it. Because as soon as you get sick, you, If you want to die, just don't die nine one one. Just like, a, just like, just like Red Red Fox said one time. I heard a, heard him years and years ago. He was talking about folk man. He said, "Man, all these people talking about they want to go see Jesus. They want to go see Jesus." He said, "Just step out in front of that bus. You'll be there for, for, for first thing in the morning." We don't. We we want to go, but we ain't ready to go. And he felt that by himself. He felt like he was all by himself. Faith can falter when we are what. Disappointed by outcomes. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, he said, After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. How many folks are like the Hebrews? They went through chapter 11. It talks about the heroes of faith. But have you really, have you really just read Hebrews 11? I mean, it talked about some of Eaten by lions, and some were sawn or something, cut in half, and some, all the suffering they went through, all they went through. And, and basically, these were the people, they were, they were wore out. They were tired. They was exhausted because they had been through so much. It started out, you know, it started out like I was saying earlier. You know, it started out, man, you could go through something, man. You could, you know, I met a challenge, and I was like, man, Jesus can handle it. Jesus will fix it. I remember folk talking about me and stuff going on on the job and whatnot. Man, I was so positive and so upbeat. Now it's just about break you down where you want to go bury your head in the sand and cover yourself up and die. It said they properly had been, their property had been plundered. They had went through so many hard struggles and so much suffering until these people were actually just literally exhausted. At first they were gung-ho. But how many folk know over time, It'll drain you. Over time, it'll take its toll on you. Over time, it'll sap your strength, and you'll start thinking it's unfair, that it's unjust, that this is not right. It shouldn't be this way. And most of us endure our share of suffering for a time, but when it goes on, we become disheartened, and our faith in God can falter. Our faith can falter when what? We are depleted by demands. How many folk got, just got, man, your plate full? You got more on it that you can, than you can eat. You got more than you can bear. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. He said, who is sufficient for these things? In other words, he said, man, who is equipped to handle this? 
You know, sometimes I look at, I look at, I think this, this, this is what I try to encourage myself with from time to time. I think about, I'm down here, and all I got is this little area with about 60 people. And I said, man, the president is running the whole country. So how can he do that? And I'm, and I'm wore out with these, little, these few little folks. And I try to encourage myself. I said, now, if he can run the country with, with what he got, man, surely God can help me do this. Surely he can help me. But Paul was dealing with, man, stuff. He, he's sitting in jail, and God's speaking to him. He's telling them what's going on at the churches. Some man in, in, in the church of Corinth, they got all these gifts operating, everything. The spirit is flowing. Everything is moving. And yet the folks in the church commit adultery. They got prostitutes in the church. Man, what in the world going on? And he had all of this weight of the responsibility of the churches on him. He's sitting there bearing that burden. And he said, who is sufficient? Who can deal with this? But God took care of him. So we got ASAP. What was ASAP problem? See if y'all been paying attention. What was it? You're looking at your notes. You're cheating. Anyway. <laughs> what was Elijah's problem? What's, what was Elijah's problem? <laughs> what was Elijah's problem? He needed rest. He 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 was he was he was exhausted. He felt like the king, the queen. And all the prophets of Baal and all the people of God that had started worshiping Baal was against him. Asap, Elijah, the Galatians, and Hebrews, and the Apostle Paul, they all faltered and they were all restored. So how did God restore them? Is there a pattern to how God restored them? Now, let's look at that. Psalm 73, verse 16 and 17, it says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. This is what Asaph wrote later on. Now remember, Asaph wrote first what? He wrote first that said, man, these people are getting away with murder. The wicked are prospering. He said, I almost slipped, I almost stumbled, I almost lost my foot, and I almost fell. But he said, then God restored me. He said, I went back into the house of God. I went back into the sanctuary of God. The sanctuary was the place where he worked. So what did he do? This man kept doing what God called him to do, and God met him. Number one, we got to do what? Keep doing what God called us to do. Keep doing what, what God called us to do. That's how he restored ASAP. God restored Elijah after what? A time of rest. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5, it said, He lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. After Elijah had went through everything that he had went through, he had went up on the mountain, he was tired. He said, God, take my life. I'm tired of living. I don't want to live no more. Guess what God told him to do? Rest. Get you some rest. Get you something to eat. How many folk know that when you're dealing with situations, those are the two things that, 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 that most of the time you don't want to do or you can't do? Remember what he said last week. He said he has to make us lay down in green pastures. He's doing that because he has to make us rest. 
In other words, he's not only just telling you to lay down and sleep, he's telling you to get this mess off your mind. Get it off your head. Eat, relax, take your mind off of it, get some sleep. And then God restored the Galatians through a wonderful promise. Now, test early, test early. How did he restore Asaph? Keep doing the work of God. How did he restore Elijah? Told him to get some rest, get something to eat. How did he restore the Galatians? He restored them through a promise. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. He said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever one soweth, that will he also reap. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. He said, man, stop looking at the immediate Stop looking for immediate results. We sow a seed today. We're looking for a harvest when? Tomorrow. Yeah. Actually, later on this evening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he said, stop looking for stuff immediate. Stop looking for stuff in this world. You got to come to the place where you start looking for eternal life. That's, what we, that's the real harvest that we're going to reap. And then he said, you've been disappointed by how little has come from your good work, the good work you've been doing. But that's just a small part. That's just a little piece of the pie. That's just a little bit of the picture. He said, now you've got to look and realize that you're going to reap eternal life. And so basically he told him to do what? This is what he told him to do. He said, so then, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. He said, now once you realize that this is just a small portion that you're not going to reap everything here in this life, that your goal is to reap eternal life. He said, man, he said, he said keep doing it. Keep doing it. Bless everybody you can. Help all you can see, especially God's people. So he helped them with what? Let's, let's, let's go back over it. Here we go. Asaph, Elijah, the Galatians, hold on to the promise. So how did God restore the Hebrews? He did it with a what? Challenge. Now this is how he challenged the Hebrews. This is what he told them. He said, who for the joy that was set before him, he gave them Jesus as an example. He said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He challenged them. And he said, look what he said. He said, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He said, he said you got to consider Jesus. He said, look at Jesus. This is your challenge. He said, look at what Jesus did. He said, in order for you to make it through, you gotta, you gotta have something, a joy that's set before you. See, Jesus wasn't, if he had looked, when he looked at the cross, guess what he said? What did he say when he looked at the cross, Sean? <laughs> I'll tell you what he said. He was in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if you be willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, thy will. He saw where he had to go. He saw that cross. He saw the cruel death that he was going to die. But then he put something in front of the cross that he could look at. And when he considered that joy that he had set before him. 
man, you got to put something out there. You got to have some hope that there's some light at the end of this tunnel. There's something come. There's something good gonna come out of this. And so you you set something before you. And, and how do we how do we how do we set something good before? Because we know God and we know that God is faithful. So. I, for the joy that was set before me, I, I can endure my cross. I can despise the shame and all those that, those that are against me. And he, he said, consider him. Consider Jesus. Look to Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And you can look at it this way, too. If they did it to Jesus, guess where we fall? Guess where we fall? And he said, now, because of that, he said, lift up them drooping hands. Strengthen those weak knees. Pull yourself together. Pull yourself together. Now, let's do this. How, did he, store, how, how he restored Asaph? Elijah? Galatians? Hebrews? He challenged them to keep, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Why? Because see, if you look at the book of Hebrews, it talks about a lot of suffering. I mean, people being sawn in two, cut in half, being taken away from their families, eaten by lions and all kind of stuff that they mentioned in there, a lot of stuff they probably left out of there. So, God restored the apostle Paul through the gift of a faithful friend. Look what he said. He said, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn. Look at this now. Fighting without and fear within. That's a bad place to be. I mean, that's a bad place to be. Man, it's a war on the outside, and I'm scared to death on the inside. But look what he said. He said, now, the man, his, his faith was beginning to falter, but how did God help him? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by what? The coming of Titus. I can see, I can see, I can see, I can see. I can see Paul, man, ready to give up, ready to throw in the towel. He's beaten down, he's torn, he wore out. He's, he had no, had no rest. Everybody coming against him. Man, these people got him in jail. They want to kill him. And all this stuff is going on. He having the burden of the churches on him. I'm writing these churches. They, these people are scared. I'm trying to encourage Timothy to, to not let folks intimidate him. He said, I'm writing to the Ephesians, and I'm trying to get them to, 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 to continue to follow God and to love each other and to keep the love of God in the church and to renew their minds and all these other things I'm trying to tell them. And he said, man, I got all this stuff going on on the outside, on the inside. I'm scared to death. And it's amazing to me, and I'm glad God is this way. I'm glad God let us see that the Apostle Paul was actually came to a place where he wore out. He was tired. He was torn. He, was, he, he said that he was scared. Because when we, look, we have a tendency to look at the folks in the Bible and think that they were superhuman. But God let us see. He said, man, it's a war going on the outside, and I'm scared to death on the inside. And look what God did. God sent Titus. And he said, man, Titus was a breath of fresh air. So, God gave Asap the assurance that there will be ultimate justice. God showed Elijah that the cause of truth was not lost. He actually told him, he said, there are thousands 
that we have not bowed the knees of Baal. And there's a new generation on the rise. And he said, you've got to prepare your successor. You've got to get your successor ready to take over. And then he lifted the Galatians with the promise of a glorious reward. He aroused the Hebrews by showing them that they were walking in the path of Jesus. They, he said, man, you're walking right where Jesus walked. And he said, you got, in order for you to make it through this path, you got to do what Jesus did. And then God met the Apostle Paul with, with this assurance. My grace is sufficient, sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And he actually brought Paul a friend. He brought him a friend. He sent somebody along. Now, I don't know what Titus did when Titus arrived. Maybe Titus came with a word. Maybe Titus came with with some food. Maybe Titus came with a word that peace is coming. God is getting ready to intervene. I don't know what God brought with Titus, brought with Titus, but Paul was revived when he saw Titus coming. He said, God comforted us with comfort. Maybe he gave him his testimony. He said, Paul, I've been here. I've done this. I've been through this. And God brought me out. And guess what? The good shepherd knows how to revive you when you falter. He knows how to revive you. He knows what it takes. He knows what to do. Remember what I said about the sheep. If the sheep turns over on his back, he can't get turned over because if he's carrying lambs or if he's carrying any kind of weight, he can't get back on his feet. He got to be helped back on his feet. And the shepherd would actually stand there and rub his legs until the circulation came back in his legs. Look what Jesus is willing to do for you. The good shepherd knows what to do. He knows how to revive you when you falter. And guess what? God knows how to restore you when you falter. He can do it. And he will do it. I don't know about y'all, but I've been in places. I've been in at, at times when I felt like I couldn't go no more. Felt like I couldn't take no more. But guess what I, I had to do? I had to do like ASAP. I had to keep doing what God told me to do. There was times when you got to go somewhere and you got to get still and be by yourself. You got to get some rest. There's times that you got to rely on the promise. There's times that you got to accept God's challenge and be willing to walk where Jesus walked and do what Jesus did at that time when he did it. And there's times when God will send somebody. And he'll send somebody to help you, send somebody to encourage you, send somebody to give you hope so that you can make it through the darkness and the storm and the worst of times in your life. He will, he can, and he will do it for you. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you for being the good shepherd. Thank you for leading your people. Thank you that we are owned by you. We're bought by you. We're born of you. And thank you that you will restore us. David looked and he realized how messed up he was. And he said, Restore my soul. In other words, God said, he said, strip it down to nothing and build it back better than the original. Make it better than it was before. Lord, every one of us need our, our soul restored. Every one of us need you to work on the inside of us. To work in our soul, to revive us, to make us alive again. To bring us back to that first love, that first passion that we had when we first met you. I pray that you would just strengthen your people. I pray that you would work and move in our souls. I pray that you'll do what you promised in 
Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, you said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for you will find that I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find what? Rest for your soul. Restore your people today. Restore your people. And Lord, how we just so bless you. We praise you. We thank you. And we worship you and honor you for being our shepherd. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share with somebody you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries Church.